0: Month and next month, we're going to be looking at some ways that you can be your best. We all want to do that. I mean, we all want to be the best we can for the Lord. You wouldn't be here this morning if you didn't want to be the best you can for your Savior and Lord. And so we're going to find some ways that we can do that. In fact, in uh, passages in Luke 9 and 10, Jesus addresses that very specific topic of how you can be. Your best. And today we're going to look at Luke chapter 9. We're we'll going to start reading verse 46. I am the world champion at exactly nothing. <laughs> there is literally nothing that I can do that there isn't somebody else in the world that can do it better than I do. But, but I, I've made peace with that. For for one thing, if they can do it better, I'll just let them. That's okay with me. I, I'm glad for them to do it. However, you know, everybody wants to be the champion at something, uh, to have some claim to fame. I, I, I did uh, play on the Austin City champion kickball team in, in the fifth grade. But, but, you know, that must count for something. Everybody wants to be the best, or everybody at least wants to be good, at something and dreams of being the greatest. Now, now, come on, I I know you do this. You're in the shower and nobody's around, and so you start singing that favorite song, just like you're before that enormous concert audience. Not in the shower, mind you, but as you're singing, you know, you're you're pretending that you have the crowds cheering for your marvelous voice. Or, now you, you can admit this, guys, you can admit it, You've had a football in one hand and done the Heisman pose. You you know you have. You you know you have. You know, because you've all dreamed about what it would be like if I was the one they were celebrating as the very best player in the league. Or you, you, you've you held that wooden spoon and, and hit that home run at the bottom of the ninth and the seventh game of the World Series, winning the series for your team. You've all done it. I mean, you've pretended or thought about or or wondered what it would be like to be the very, very best. Well, you're not alone. The disciples dreamed about being the greatest disciple. They even argued amongst themselves about who it was that was the greatest. Jesus realized how ridiculous that argument really was. And he used that moment to teach them and us About what real greatness truly is. We find this account in Luke chapter 9 starting in verse 46. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is least among you all, he is the greatest. (laughs) This morning I want to invite you to do something. I want to invite you to be the greatest. Now first of all, when you think about it, the world's idea of what the greatest is, is it actually doesn't make much sense. Well, let's take a look at it here this morning. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three record this incident where the disciples were arguing amongst themselves and wind up learning a lesson about what real greatness is all about. It all starts with this argument about which one of the disciples was the greatest. Now, let's understand this. There are twelve of them. This is not the greatest in the world or even the greatest in Jerusalem or even the greatest on the street that day. This is 12 guys. I mean, that's like arguing who's the best basketball player in your fifth grade class. I mean, even if you make that distinction, it's not like you're ready for the NBA. The disciples were just 12 guys, and they were 12 guys who weren't all that well-respected in their community as it was. There was a tax collector, there was a couple of fishermen, there was a political fanatic, and then there were two or three guys that we don't really know what they did. And now they're arguing amongst themselves about which one of them is the greatest it's kind of like if you won the XFL last year. You may remember the XFL or maybe you don't. <laughs> that was the football league that played just after the NFL Super Bowl ended. And that meant that if your team won the XFL, you were just good enough to not be good enough to play in the NFL. But anyway, the disciples, they're sitting there arguing about who's disciple number one and oh, you're disciple number 12. And we can only imagine how that conversation might have gone. Peter might have said, well, I'm the bravest. Surely I'm the first disciple. To which Andrew would have answered, well, he called me before he called you. If it wasn't for me, you wouldn't even be here. To which John might have said, you guys don't know what you're talking about. He's already said I'm his favorite. To which Matthew would have said, you guys got to be Kidding, I'm the only one who's got any of the credentials. To which Thaddeus might have said, Well, Matthew, you're a tax collector. Your own mom doesn't even like you. To which Peter and Andrew and John and Matthew would have said, And who are you again? (laughs) They were like middle school boys arguing about who's the best at paper football. Now, to make matters worse, This argument comes right after Jesus has just told them that he is going to the cross. Talk about something going right over their head. At this point, they had no idea what Jesus was talking about when he was telling them that that the Messiah had come to give his life on the cross. They just didn't get it. They were a little like Barney Fife. We've, we've all got a little Barney Fife inside. You remember Barney Fife, the deputy from the Andy Griffith show? Andy let Barney carry a gun, but you'll remember his deputy sheriff, he couldn't load the gun, he had to carry his bullet in his pocket. And if you remember the show where he talked about that, he 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 pulled his gun out of his holster and accidentally fired it. And Andy told him, I thought I told you to put your bullet in your pocket. He says, well... It kept turning green every time I sent it through the laundry. Sometimes we just don't get it. And the disciples just didn't get it. And truth is, they would not understand all of this until after the cross and the resurrection. That's how hard it was to understand. We are so conditioned in this world to what greatness is, that our greatness is a function of how many people we control, of how much money we have, of how much power we're able to attain. And we think those are the goals that we need to reach for. We admire people that have those things, and we think about what would it be like if I had that, if I was like them took the shock of the cross and the glory of the resurrection to shake the disciples out of their fog and recognize what it was that Jesus was talking about when He said, the greatest of you is the least of you. Jesus was So extraordinary at giving visual, tangible examples to help us understand what it was he was talking about. He does that in this passage as well. There in verse 47, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, knowing they had been arguing with each other about who was the greatest disciple. He took a child and had him stand beside him. And then he said to them, Whoever welcomes this little child in my my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is least among you all, he is the greatest. (laughs) Now certainly in the New Testament day, children were deeply loved just as they are today. They they were very well cared for just as they are today. But in terms of social status, Children in the New Testament day had none. Zero. You would not see a child owning any land. You would not see a child commanding an army. There was nothing in the New Testament world as defenseless or as powerless as a child. So welcoming a child had exactly no benefit as far as social power or recognition was concerned. And yet Jesus not only welcomes this child, He brings this child to His side. And in the New Testament world, putting someone at your side was a sign of recognizing them at the same social stratus as you, at the same social level as you are. It's why the disciples one time would ask Jesus who was going to be seated at his right hand in heaven. Because they knew that if they were seated beside Jesus, they would be recognized as being on the same level as Jesus. And you'll recall in that instance, Jesus rebukes them. Again, it says, you just don't get what this is all about. It's also why the disciples told the parents to stop their children from coming up and sitting beside Jesus and told them to to take their children away. And in that instance, Jesus rebuked them yet again. That's recorded in Luke chapter 18, verse 16. But Jesus called the children to Him and said, Let the little children come to Me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter into it. It appears that Jesus really wanted the disciples and us to get this. He he tells this to them and through the scripture, God teaches this concept to us over and over and over again. That the least among you, he is the greatest. What the disciples needed to realize was something that Jesus would teach them on yet another occasion. In Mark chapter 9, when he, he told them, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. And he brings this little child to his side to illustrate that truth. So, why is this so hard for us to understand? Why do we struggle with this? The disciples certainly did, but so do we. This just is totally opposite of what the world says. But then we look around and we see some of the people that are identified as great in the world and we see some of the struggles that they have and some of the hardships that they have and some of the mistakes that they make and in the back of our mind we're thinking, well, you know, this great person really isn't all that great. Why do we struggle with this? Well, we have a blind spot. Physically, we actually literally Have a blind spot in the back of your eye where your optical nerve connects to your eyeball. There is a spot in your retina where you actually can't see. So you actually don't just have one blind spot, you've got two. There are two areas right now when you're looking at me this morning. There are actually two spots that you're not actually seeing. But you don't see that, do you? You don't see two black spots out there in the air. You know why that is? isn't? It's because your brain has learned how to fill that in. That's one of the ways that optical illusions work. It's because when your brain sees something that doesn't make any sense, it it tries to fill in the blanks for you. And in the blind spots that all of us have, these two black areas where we actually aren't seeing anything, our, our brain is just kind of assuming, well, it's brown here and it's brown here, so it must be brown in the middle. Or there's that guy in a blue and white shirt up there waving his arms, so he must have his arms here right now. Your brain's kind of filling in the gaps for you. And unfortunately, what we have physically in our physical sight, we also have in our understanding of greatness. We are told so often... That the powerful people are the ones who have money, are the ones who have power, are the ones who have friends, are the ones who have a big house, are the ones who drive a big car. That the people who have power, that's the way that you identify that. And we hear that over and over and over and over and over again until our mind starts filling in the blanks. Until we begin to think of greatness in terms of... Of the world's viewpoint. That again, when you think about it, the world's viewpoint doesn't make any sense. Anybody remember who was king of England in 1742? Real quick. I don't either. Now you can look that up and and maybe if you're an English history scholar, you might know what that was. But you would be the only one in the room who does. The most powerful person in the most powerful nation of the world at that time. And we don't even remember what his name was. So what is real greatness? Until his disciples saw Jesus die on the cross and then three days later rise from the grave, they didn't get it either. But as they stood in the presence of the resurrected Christ and finally understood that He had given His life as a sacrifice for their sin and for ours, only then did they finally get it. For He who is the least among you all, He is the greatest. You want to have a great life? You want to have a life that makes a difference? and serve someone in the name of Jesus Christ. Find someone in your life who has a need, who has a heartache, who just needs a friend, who just needs someone to talk to. Someone... That you don't really have to do anything for them. That you don't really owe them anything. That if you do this thing for them, no one but them is actually going to notice. And serve them. Find a way to meet that need for them. Be that person Who just sits down and has a conversation with somebody that nobody else will talk to. Be that person who somebody else reaches out to them when nobody else wants to deal with them at all. Find someone and serve them in Jesus' name. Find someone who doesn't know Jesus. Someone who everybody else has given up on. Someone who everybody else has said, there's no point in inviting them to church. There's no point in sharing a testimony of Christ. them, And I will not listen anyway. And you be the one who sits down and says, hey, can I tell you about something that's the most important thing in my life? it only take a second. But can I just share with you something that I'm telling you can change your life? He who is the least among you all, He is the greatest. You want to be great, serve someone in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, we, we ask you this morning that you would teach us about greatness. And we do have a blind spot here, Lord. It's a big one. Because we have been told by the world from the moment we arrived in this world that greatness is equated with power, with money, with riches, with stuff. And, and Lord, when we really think about that, that doesn't make any sense. But the problem is we just don't think about it. We just accept what the world spoon-feeds to us. So, Lord, break through that darkness. And help us to see what you were teaching your disciples on this day that was so crucial for them to understand that you said it to them over and over and over again, that to be great, we have to serve. So help us to do that, Lord. Help us to serve in Jesus' name. For it is in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. In just a moment we're going to have a, a, a time for you to consider some ways that you can serve. Maybe uh, there's one of the hardest of all that you need to do today. Maybe there's never been a time that you personally have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And, and, and the reality is when, when you take away all the the verbiage and everything else, the reason why you haven't done that is because you want to be Lord of your life. You want to be in control. And yet, as you look back over your life, you see that doesn't really make sense. Because you see those times when you've been in control that have just spiraled out of control. And maybe God has brought you to the point where you realize what I really need. It's Jesus. And we want to share with you today how you can know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now, we're not going to do a come-to-the-front invitation. We hope one day to be able to do that very soon as we get past all this virus stuff. But for right now, uh, if you are wondering, well, how do I do that? How do I receive Christ as my Savior? What does that mean? There's some cards in the pew racks before you just take one of those out. Uh Write some contact information there and and just say, hey, I want to know more about Jesus. I think there's even a checkbox for you there if you'd like to do that. And as you exit this morning, there's some baskets at the exit door. Just drop it in the basket. We'll be glad to contact you this weekend and, and share with you how simple it is. God's made this so easy to understand that even a child can understand this. That we have to admit our need for the Savior That we have to believe that Jesus truly is the Son of God, that He died on the cross for our sins, that He rose again. And then we have to commit our life to Him as Lord and Savior. We'll, we'll show you in the Scripture where the Bible tells you exactly what it means to follow Christ as Lord and Savior. If you'll simply take that one step of, of saying, yeah, this is what I need. If you're watching us online, you can email us here at nhbc at nationalheights.org, and we'll be glad to get that information to you. Or maybe there's another decision that God has placed upon your heart. Maybe you're looking for a church home, and we'd be glad to share with you how you can be a part of what God's doing here at National Heights. Or, or maybe this morning, you just want to spend some time saying, Okay, Lord, I've, I've tried it my way. It's not working too great, so I want to try it your way. Lord, this week, help me to see somebody that I can serve in your name. Just help me to see at least one person in the next seven days that in your name I can reach out to them. In your name I can meet a need in their life. and In your name I can sit down and talk with them about you. Or in your need I can just sit down and be that person that listens to them for a little while. Lord, help me to see somebody in my life this week that I can serve. Maybe that would be your commitment this morning as we sing together.